Hello, everybody. Welcome. My name is John Keeler, if we haven't met. Um, welcome to Grace Community Church. We're glad to have you worshiping with us today. It's awesome to see how many kids we have here in this church. It's a, it's always, you always get to see it from this, this side. It's amazing. But if you haven't been here before, one of the important things you need to know is that we're a church that's all about discipleship. We talk about it every week. We exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. And part of our mission is to create a discipleship movement that will last for generations, for the kids walking out of the door and their children after them. And one of the important parts about being a disciple, one of the most critical pieces of your path to discipleship is understanding the attacks of the enemy. Okay? It's understanding how the enemy attacks so that you can avoid temptation. And so let me ask you this question. How many of you, think to yourself here, how many of you have been distracted from something important? Yeah? Have, have you been distracted from something important? Of course we have. We've all been distracted from something important. In fact, I would guarantee that every day of your life you face multiple distractions that are trying to keep you from obeying God's will for your life. Do you believe that? Yeah. I feel it. <laughs> In fact, God speaks to you uh, through the messages you bring, right? And, and when we teach our children, sometimes we need to teach ourselves well. It, working up to this message, it's like one distraction after another, after another this week. I, I, you know, I was like, okay, this is, my, this is a message for me, Lord. And why is that? Why is it that we get distracted all the time? Because the enemy's favorite tactic is distraction. It's a subtle tactic. It's so subtle that, you know, most times I will guarantee you that you do not know it's even happening. You don't even realize it's happening to you. You're just getting distracted. I'll give you an example, um, and maybe you've run into this as well. So, you know, COVID happens and people stop going to church, and, you know, after COVID kind of dies out, you know, you run into somebody at the grocery store, or you, you see them after maybe sometimes a year or two has gone by. Hey, how you doing? And then, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, so when they meet with me, they say, hey, I, you know, I haven't been back to church, and, you know, it gets a little awkward. But, you know, the main excuse, what do you think it is? Busyness, yeah. You know, it's not a faith crisis. It's not that they stop believing. It's that they get distracted. You know, how many times I've heard people say, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to go back to church. I wanted to go back to church. Yeah, but we were so busy. We got involved in hobbies and sports. You know, I like the extra time in the morning on Sundays. Kids' schedule gets out of hand. They're like, I wanted to come back, but I just got distracted. I just got distracted. Is that any surprise? Why would, you know, why would you get distracted from coming to church on Sunday? Well, here's the thing. Every time that you try to do the will of the Lord, you will be distracted. 
every single time you try to create a good habit in your life, a good spiritual discipline in the morning, you'll be distracted. Every time you try to do something for others or love well on others, you'll be distracted. Every time that you dig in and try to get rid of that bad habit, that sinful pattern in your life, you will be distracted. It's inevitable. It's part of every Christian's life, and that's the bad news, okay? But the good news is that today we're going to actually tackle this problem. We're going to look at it, and we're going to see how each one of us can have victory, okay? But the important thing that we need to do first is understand the big picture. This is the important thing that most people don't realize. How does our life fit into all of this? What's the big picture? What's really going on in our lives when these distractions come and we get suckered into them? Well, let's talk about it. We've, we, there's a thing called spiritual warfare, if you haven't heard of it before. So, you know, as, as believers, we are on God's side of this cosmic spiritual warfare. It sounds a little crazy sometimes because we exist in the here and now, right? We see things that are right in front of us. And those distractions seem like, you know, real tangible things. But we are on God's side of the spiritual battle against his enemy and ours, Satan. And he is real. And as a result, we are drawn into this conflict, okay? And we are then vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, Satan and his hosts. And his primary strategy... His primary strategy for each and every one of you in this room, if you are Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're a believer, his primary strategy for you is to defeat you, to make you ineffective as a Christian, to bring you down, to distract you from your true purpose in life. And so we need to know what strategies he uses so that we can be properly defended. And in this next slide, let's look at Ephesians 6, 12, okay? Paul talks all about spiritual warfare. If you, if you go through various books that he writes, he, he, he primarily talks about this in the Christian life. He says in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against the things that we see, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan and his fallen angels are real. They are real, and the battle we face is real. And Paul wanted us to know that the real battle is not the one we see. It's not the guy that cuts you off in the car on the way to church. That's not, that's not the real battle. It's not the person you're arguing with a child that's, you know, giving you a hard time. That's not the real battle. The real battle is spiritual. There's an unseen battle that we need to know exists in order for us to function well as Christians, to be able to defend against what's going on. And since the battle we, we face is spiritual, the weapons we use must be spiritual. And, and Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. And we'll read, 
For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Right? These spiritual weapons give us the ability not only to defend ourselves, but to have victory, to actually demolish strongholds of the enemy. And what exactly are these spiritual weapons? So, like I mentioned, for most of you, you might not have ever even thought of your life in this way, right? You know, you see things in the here and now, what's right in front of you, and, and so you're not really focused on this spiritual warfare. But in Ephesians 6.11, Paul tells us, this is what kind of is the beginning of a whole section of Scripture uh, 6, 11 through 18, he talks about spiritual warfare. He talks about the armor of God. And this specific verse, 6, 11, and I have a slide up here uh, that will show you kind of in graphic representation. But put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. Okay? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. Since the battle is the Lord's, our weapons have to be God's weapons and his power. Every morning of every day, you have to put on this spiritual armor. Every day, spiritually, you need to put on this armor so that you can defend against the attacks that are going to come. And for me, you know what, I, I'm, I'm very literal, you know, like I'm a very visual, literal person. So in the morning during my prayer time, I like to pray through a card like this, and I think of it visually. I think of, you know, Lord putting on the, the salvation, uh, the helmet of salvation, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. And you, you got to think about what these elements are. And we're going to get into three of them this week and three next week, Okay. We're going to talk about what they are and what they mean to us in our lives. But I encourage you to do the same, to think about it, putting it on every day. And, and here's the important thing. Prayer and reading the Word of God are kind of the power behind each one of these weapons, each one of these uh, pieces of armor. And here's, here's what I said before. We won't always know when the attack's coming. We won't know how it's going to come. I would guarantee you most times you'll have no idea the big attacks are coming. You'll, you'll have no idea what, what attack you're facing. So you have to be ready all the time. You have to be ready throughout the day. You have to put this on every morning. And you have to keep it on throughout the day, focused on these elements of your spiritual life. Because when we're outfitted, we're ready, okay? Now, this is kind of a backdrop. I know you're all probably thinking we're in Nehemiah. What in the world does Ephesians have to do with Nehemiah? But this is a background for uh, this week and next because we're looking at, essentially in chapter 6, the enemy's attacks on Nehemiah and his project. And as we continue, we'll look at how he stood firm, how he resisted the temptation, how he stood firm in front of these attacks and resisted it and had victory. He knew that the stakes were higher. He knew that this was an important project. He knew there was something bigger than just him, okay? He knew that this project wasn't just completing a wall, putting in the gates. It, there was an eternal element to this. There's something, you know, for God's kingdom work that they were doing, 
So it was important. And we'll see that against this tactic of distraction, Nehemiah stayed focused, he pursued righteousness, and he remained absolutely focused and alert for his task. So let's look at some background as you open uh, Nehemiah 6. Um, Over the course of his building project, he has faced one obstacle after another after another. I think we've read... You know, one problem he's faced over and over again. And outwardly, you know, we heard about the enemies would mock him. They, they threatened to attack and invade uh, Jerusalem while they were working. You know, the, the workers had to, uh, the, you know, the building workers had to have a sword in one hand. Internally, you know, they had resource constraints and, you know, problems with the workers complaining about being exhausted. Uh, last week, we even read about the rich they were abusing the poor. So you have all these problems, and behind each one of them, obviously, is the enemy, the devil. Now, for those of you, and I know that Pastor Ars mentioned before about um, our good friend Paul is, is the Nehemiah um, for our project, but for anybody who's been involved in the project or if you've seen the project, you know exactly what Nehemiah was going through, Okay. We have hit one distraction after another after another. We've had our own resource constraints. It took forever to get, you know, our initial building permit. Um, We've had flooring defects that happened three times in a row. We've had equipment problems, scheduling delays, and so on and so on and so on. But we weren't surprised. We were expecting that. You know why? Do you know why? Here's the important thing. Because the enemy does not want this project to be finished. The enemy does not want this project to be finished. Because he knows that we will be using this space to strengthen your Christian walk, to build up disciple makers who are bringing people to Christ for salvation. He knows what we know that we will be dangerous for the kingdom when that thing is finished, okay? So he will do everything he can to stop us, but like Nehemiah, and we will get to the point in which he has finished the wall and the, and the project, and we will get to the point where we are finished our project, and we are very close, and we praise the Lord for that. So let's turn to verse 1, and let's see how Nehemiah stayed alert and focused. We read... When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and not a gap was left in it, then he has an aside here, though up until that time, I had not set the doors in the gate. So Nehemiah's enemies got word. They're in the home stretch. So they've been, you know, for the past five chapters, they've been doing everything they can. They want to stop this project. And they're in the home stretch. Word gets, gets out to the, to the uh, enemies. And all they've got left is the doors. Right? That's easy. The doors and the gates. But actually, you know, and we said this uh, back in chapter 3. This work was actually the most difficult part of the work. So they were by no means finished yet. They had a really important task. And it was the most crucial part left of the project. And I'll give you a good analogy. How many of you, you know, have volunteered with Habitat for Humanity 
at one point in your time. So when I worked down in Baltimore in my former job, um, I would take my team, we'd volunteer, we'd go to Sandtown, Baltimore. Sandtown, Baltimore. Okay, lovely, lovely neighborhood. Um, it has the highest crime rates. Um, per capita, the most incarcerated residents in all of uh, the Baltimore area. So really lovely place, and, and as you can imagine, you know, you go in there and, um, you know, we're, we're building houses. So let's imagine, you know, my team finished. We've, we finished at least, I was involved with like at least 10 houses that we finished. So we finish a house, everything except the doors and the windows. Okay, we finish a house and then we hand the keys over to the resident and say, here you go. So do you think she's going to be able to sleep at night peacefully? No doors, no windows on the house. No, no. In fact, if you've ever been down to Sandtown, you know what they know. They put their, their, they put bars, actually, there's, you know, bars on the windows, on the doors, everything's locked up, um, you know, three or four different padlocks. You need the doors on the gates. And Nehemiah needed the doors on the gates. This was the final part of the task. They needed it to be secure. And so his enemies knew that they had one last chance, one last chance to stop this project, to keep Jerusalem from being fortified. And, you know, since they tried everything they could, they tried uh, an actual overt attack, they've tried mockery, everything they can to distract him, this is their last chance. And they switch over to another subtle tactic. So what did they do? Let's read in verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Let's go meet. They wanted a meeting, which if, if you've been in the business world like I have, just the mention of a meeting sounds suspicious to me. <laughs> I don't want a meeting. <laughs> Nothing good happens at those. So they want a meeting. And on the surface, though, in, in reality, it didn't seem like such a bad idea. I'll talk to you about that a little bit. You know, first, Nehemiah was probably thinking that maybe they were trying to actually resolve this conflict. Like the enemy seeing, like, we're almost done here. And so they know a fortified Jerusalem could be a very, very, uh, you know, bad enemy for them. So let's go make nice with Jerusalem. So maybe, maybe there really is hope. Uh, maybe they did want to... Uh, you know, sit down and talk. And as you look at um, some of the, the areas within Jerusalem, surrounding areas, the, the actual location seemed pretty reasonable. Might have, you know, been a good location to meet. Let's, let's look at this next slide to see where Ono was. So, um, well, you know, you have Jerusalem up there, and um, I, I don't know. Oh, no. So, okay, uh, it's just a joke, and you know, if you've been here for a couple weeks, Pastor R's really been upping his game with the jokes, so I had to, I had to come out swinging. All kidding aside, the, here's the real chart. Okay. So you've got Jerusalem and Ono, and what's important here is it's really, it's equidistant from Samaria. So you know that um, if you've been with us 
that Sanballat is from Samaria. Uh, Nehemiah is down there in Jerusalem. So it's about, it was anywhere from like 25 to 30, 35 miles from Jerusalem. Seems like a good idea. You know, let's meet in neutral ground. Um, and w- what's really interesting, when we get to Nehemiah 11.35, Ono, the Valley of Ono, was actually referred to as the Valley of the Craftsmen. So what better place? Hey, Nehemiah, come on down to the Valley of Craftsmen. You're a master builder. Well, you know, they, they, it looks like they're trying to, uh, you know, bring peace to the whole dispute. But despite the potential authenticity of this meeting, there are many reasons why Nehemiah stayed alert. He stayed alert, and this is an important strategy for us, and didn't act um, impulsively. He didn't act quickly. He was cautious because he wanted to know if he could really uncover their true motives. Is this legit? Is this okay? You know, how many of you jump right in on things when you should be asking more questions? right? How many of you get kind of wrapped into something before you even know it happened? But he stays uh, cautious, he's alert, and he had good reason to wonder whether or not they're luring him out on his own to harm him. First, yes, the location truly was, you know, halfway between Samaria and Jerusalem, but It was also right in the middle of Ashdod and Samaria. And Ashdod was where the Philistines came from, and Samaria, those two nations hated the Jews. They were hostile. So it's really like he could be lured out right in the middle of two enemies. And that's a lesson for each one of us. You never, ever let yourself be lured out into a group of your enemies. You can't win over an enemy if they have a hidden agenda. Too many people try to do that. It's, you know, you try to convince them of this or you think you can, you know, fix this. You can't. It's better to leave them alone and pray for them. You do not engage with enemies. Second, he knew that he would be vulnerable on his own. He knew that there's strength, strength in numbers right? And the same is true for us. Why do we tell you every week, get into a group, get into a small group, a discipleship relationship, join CR? You need the fellowship of other people. Because when you have that fellowship, when you join CR, you know what you have? You have support, you have accountability, and you can become stronger because you're always vulnerable on your own. You're always vulnerable on your own. Every time you stop coming to church, every time you stop going to your small group, you are vulnerable when you are on your own, okay? And that is a very important lesson. And the last thing, uh, we know that it could be a complete distraction. Um, At best, if he traveled, you know, the 25, 35 miles, I mean, that would, back in those days, it would take probably a week to and from and the meeting and all that stuff. So at best, he's, he's losing a week's time, precious time. And at worst, obviously, you know, if they killed him or harmed him, the work would stop. The work would stop. If you've been with us through the whole series, you know, in chapter 2, where did he get permission? He, he was the only one that got permission to build. So, um, you know, the, the, the prince, or the, I'm sorry, the king, uh, Artaxerxes, gave Nehemiah the, the resources and the approval to build. So if anything happened to him, the project would be halted. 
So he remained focused. He remained alert. And that is our first principle for us today. We need to remain alert. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Most of you have heard this verse. The devil is always looking for you when you're vulnerable, always waiting for you when you're not looking. He wants to lead you away from God's protection. He wants to lure you out on your own because he thinks you'll never make it back. He wants to make you ineffective. So we need to be sober-minded. We need to be alert. But here's the thing. We don't need to be afraid. There's a difference between alert and afraid. And, and when we read in um, James 4, 7, James actually says, Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see that? We don't need to be afraid because when we're putting ourselves under the protection and the authority of God, we can be victorious and the devil has to flee. So think about it. Think about it for yourself. Where is your plane of oh no? Where is that place in your life that the enemy is luring you out from under God's protection? Think about that. Is it when you're um, going to a happy hour after, church, uh, after work? <laughs> you guys with me? <laughs> I got, there's two services, so right around 1230. <laughs> Lunch specials. All right. See, I told you the jokes will be coming. But no, think about it. Is it, is it when you are alone? When you're by yourself, is it, is it hanging out after work when you shouldn't be because there's somebody there that, you know, is noticing you, right? Is it spending too much time on the couch when you need to get up and do something, spend time with your kids? Or is it just spending too much time alone on your computer when you shouldn't be doing those things? Think about that. The enemy will lure you in. He'll suck you into things that isolate you. And all of these things, all of these things that we get sucked into, they lure us out from God's protection. And they're just cheap substitutes. They're cheap substitutes for what God truly has in store for us. So Paul says we need to stay alert. We need to put on the armor. And specifically in Ephesians 6.15, we'll see on this slide that he says that we need the feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In warfare, what happened, what he's talking about here, in warfare, the enemy would put out uh, dangerous obstacles in the path of, of the soldiers. And so the idea of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shoes that we put on, is that as we advance into, into the enemy territory, right? Every time you leave these walls, every time you leave your home, you've got to go to work, right? Unfortunately, some people may be at home, but Figuratively or literally, when you're advancing out into, into the enemy territory, we need to be alert. We need to be cautious. We need to know what our temptations are, what your major weaknesses are, and then you need to fortify yourself around those things. You need to avoid them at all costs. You don't drive down that place if that's where you're going. 
You don't stay there in that location if it's going to suck you in again. You got to run from it, flee from it, okay? And then you need to find fellow believers that can support you, that can give you accountability, Christian community that can help you. And so, as we see, Nehemiah stayed alert. And then next, what did he do with this invitation? What what was his decision? We read in verse 3, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. It's very, get ready. I am carrying on a great work, and I cannot go down. Why should I stop working while I leave you, or while I leave the work and go down to you? Nehemiah knew that this work was important. He knew how critical this work was, and that it affected more than just himself. That's an important point. We learned that Nehemiah is a completely unselfish leader. He's, he's really a role model for me. I, I've, I've seen, you know, through chapter uh, 1 and 2, he left his job as a cupbearer, this prestigious job, um, just to, to work on this project with his fellow Israelites. We saw that, you know, he treated the poor right, he made things right for them, and he never took advantage of his position as governor. He was a godly leader. He was a really godly leader, and for that, he became a target. And for each of you, if you're a godly leader, at school, at home, wherever you are, you will be a target. The enemy knows the best strategy is to take out the person at the top, right? And they knew they didn't need an army, they didn't need to attack, they just need to take one guy out and everything would crumble. And so his safety was more important than anything else. He had to protect himself, and he had to look out at what he was doing and how it affected everyone else. And so think about that for yourself. So if what I do affects others around me, how does that change what I do today? You know, I think for people... Some might think that the underground habit or, or, you know, the addiction that you have that you keep hidden at all costs, that that only affects you. You're the only one that, that you have to worry about. But can you honestly say that that's true? Can you honestly say that it doesn't impact your family, your job, people here in our church, your small group? There is... Nothing, no issue, no sin issue in your life that only impacts you. Your derailing or your success help or hurt other people. And we need to realize that. We need to know that our spiritual lives, what is going on in our life, impacts everyone. Let me give you an example. Some of you may have heard the term devotions. Some of you may have not, and that's okay. It's a Christian term for basically spending time in the Word and prayer, time devoted to God. And so a lot of us will feel the shame of never really measuring up, right? To know that, I know I should do that every day, but I don't, right? But they bury that shame, and they think, it's just me, it's just me and God. But Stop and think, and this is something, you know, as a parent especially, that really dawned on me. What if your devotional time impacted more than just you, right? What if it was bigger than that? 
What if God was leading you to some truth today in your devotions that someone else needed to hear? That he could use you to bring somebody to Christ. That you could be the light that somebody needed to see. The voice of encouragement that somebody needed. You see, your spiritual life affects everyone around you. Saved people, unsaved people. My wife and I went to this um, conference, and, and this was an astounding statistic for me, men. Listen to this. If the father is saved, 93% of the time the children will be saved as well. 93%. 17% if the mom only. I, I thought that was astounding. Your life, fathers, impacts your children greatly. Do not waste that opportunity. Do not be selfish. I remind myself that every day. John, you're doing it for someone else than you. It's not just about you and God. It's about everyone around you. And so we need to be focused. We need to avoid traps. We need to pursue righteousness. And Paul, in Ephesians 6.14, says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know what's important about the breastplate? In warfare, it protected the vital organs. That's, that was absolutely critical for, for warfare. And for us, this breastplate that Paul's talking about, it protects our heart, our affections, and as we think of others, as we pursue love and we, and we pursue the good of others around us, we continue to refine and keep ourselves holy and righteous. It's that other focus that Paul's talking about that keeps us armored with God's armor. And one of the best ways for me, a practical uh, tip for you, one of the best ways for me is to have a little prayer card. I put a prayer card of people that are kind of like in that close sphere of my life. Um, you know, for people that, you know, my family and so forth, but even people that maybe, you know, I'm struggling um, to love or, or struggling to understand. You know, when I focus on understanding that God can use me in their lives and that God can use me to change somebody's heart, it completely changes my focus. And as we, as we read in Hebrews 3.13, the writer said, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need to protect our vital organs. We need to protect our heart. And so here we have Nehemiah. You know, he turned down the invitation, and that was it. Only in verse 4, we read, Four times they sent me the same message. Four times, and each time I gave them the same answer. Four times. Here's a quick principle for you. <laughs> you need to stay focused because the enemy won't give up. The enemy won't relent. Come on, Nehemiah, meet with us. Come on, me. they just kept at it and at it. And trust me, our enemy will do the same thing. Wear us down. Chip away the, the resolve. Try to catch us on an off day. You ever have an off day? <laughs> you ever not get enough sleep or, you know, you're, you're kind of in that foul mood and, and the enemy gets you. He just 
traps you because it was the same thing, though. The same problem that you face every single morning that you said no to nine times the tenth time you say yes. And how did that happen? He's relentless. Think about it. How many times have you slid backwards on the same things? You get to, you know, two, three months, you've, you've got a good diet and exercise, everything's going great, and then Halloween candy, and then you have Thanksgiving next week, Christmas, and then, eh, forget about it, right? I mean, you slide right back down. The five pounds you lost equals the 10 pounds you gain. Or, for some of you, you know, you're saving, you're saving, you're paying down your debt. You're, okay, we're going to get out of it finally, honey. We're finally going to get out of debt. And then you give in to that advertisement that keeps tempting you to buy the new car you need. You need a new car, right? Oh, yeah. You drop your guard for a second. You know, you're, you're sober for three months. Three months, that's a big accomplishment. You know, but your friends asked you every Friday, and this time you really just need a drink. So you hang out, you go with them. And most times you end up lower than where you started, right? We have to be vigilant. We have to remain focused. I'm sorry to tell you, but we have to. It is not over today when we put our head on the pillow. It's not over. It's not done. We need to remain focused. We need to keep the spiritual armor on. Every single day. And I know for me, you know, I, I, as I said, I put it on every day. I think about it. I pray about it every morning. And the last piece of spiritual armor that, that uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians 6.14, he says that we need to have the belt of truth buckled around our waist. And essentially, back in war times, there was this big tunic, right, with holes for the head and the arms. So the, the soldier would put on this tunic, and it was like a loose tunic. And if you can imagine with hand-to-hand -hand combat, anything loose would be a, a hindrance, right? It would be a danger. You know, so they'd kind of get everything ready. They'd buckle it, uh, you know, buckle that tunic in and, and cinch everything up so that they could protect against uh, hindrances. And that's the same thing that Paul's talking about with the belt of truth for us. It's what holds everything in place. The truth of God's word holds everything in place, holds the, the armor in place. It frees you from addiction. The truth sets you free from that sinful habit. And it gives you strength. It, it helps you understand the lies that are in your, in your life you know, so that you can see through them. Romans uh, 12.2 says... That when we set our minds on the truth, we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. We'll know what he wants for us to do. So this belt of truth is, is what holds everything together. It, it cinches everything up, and it can only be empowered by the truth of God's word every morning, every day. And so those are the three pieces of spiritual armor we're covering today. Now, I wanted to go back to the verse, um, Nehemiah 6.2. Because I intentionally skipped a part of that verse. Um, and I'll read it again. Samballot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. And then Nehemiah wrote, but they were scheming to harm me. See, Nehemiah wrote the entire chronicle 
after everything had happened, after the fact, when he had perfect hindsight vision, as we do when we see things for what they are, right? But he knew what was going on. He knew the schemes of the, of the enemy, and he was able to stand firm. He was able to stay alert for the attacks, pursue righteousness, and remain focused. And as I continue to encourage you, each of us need to stand firm in the armor of God. What, what I find so interesting is, you know, that's all we need. And every single morning when we wake up, it's right by our bed, right in here, the armor of God. Would you put it on with me? Let's pray. Lord God, our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for who you are. We adore you. We're amazed by who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your spiritual armor, that you love us so much that you do not leave us unprotected. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the truth of your word that can gird our, our loins, that can help us hold everything together in life, that helps us avoid hindrances that come our way. We thank you for the readiness that comes with the shoes that we put on, the, the, the gospel of peace, that we can advance out into the enemy territory, Lord, um, doing your will, being on, in, in, on mission with you, and that we can be ready and, and alert for what's coming. And we know that you can give us the truth that will set us free. And we thank you, Lord, for that breastplate of righteousness, for the righteousness not of our own, but that we receive from Jesus Christ as our Savior and that we can pass on to others as we love others, as we pursue righteousness and focus on building up those around us. We know, Lord, that the enemy attacks will come. They will be relentless, but we don't have to fear. We never have to be discouraged because in you we can always have victory. We thank you, Lord. Amen.